This is The Michael Bryan Show. Hi everyone, welcome back to the show and today I'm joined with Adam Cox who is a rock star hypnotherapist. He's also a podcaster so we host the hypnotist show as well. Adam, thanks for joining me. Great to be here Michael, it's uh, nice, to, nice to speak to you again. Yeah it is, yeah you've been on for a couple of times now and I noticed that you're very passionate about the hypnosis, you also started speaking a bit more which is very very positive you know the moving forwards and impacting more people why this shift to wealth and mindset and where did that come from yeah so it's not really a shift it's, it's always been there so I, I guess a bit of background on me um i i started my career in radio um but that was after really struggling with social anxiety for several years and ironically, I was doing a psychology degree at the same time that I was really struggling with social anxiety to the extent that I was a recluse for almost a year, kind of hiding away from the world, just going, literally going to kind of like, there was a 24-hour library at, at the university so I could kind of study without people. I could do my groceries kind of like late at night when there was no no one around. So it's just avoiding people as a way to kind of manage uh, manage my anxiety. So the interest in psychology, the interest in kind of change was always there. But when I managed to find a way out of, you know, crippling anxiety, um, I was able to use that same principle to get myself in uh, quite resourceful emotional states, like being highly motivated and, and very determined. Um, so worked in radio for um, about a year, worked in PR uh, for a couple of years, and then set up my own PR agency at the age of 23, um, bought uh, the office that I'm in at the moment, started taking on staff. Technically, I was a self-made millionaire at the age of 27. I say technically because that was not liquid. That is when you've got your total assets, less your liabilities. And if that happens to be over a million, then technically you're a millionaire. But that doesn't mean you've got a million in the bank, like far from it. Like I had virtually no cash at that particular point, just a lot of you know, kind of assets. Um, but what, what happened is that I had a very different way of thinking about money. And, and part of that came from my background being a child. So I had parents that were not wealthy by any stretch of the imagination. When I was about 12 or 13 years old, my dad made the decision to go back to university so my mom was working in a, in a warehouse. There was a, a catalogue called Freeman's at the time, and she was working for Freeman's. My dad um, was a manager of a supermarket, but um, basically gave that up to become um, go back to university. Um, so there was no income really in the, in the house. So in those formative years of kind of like when you're a, a young teenager and material things matter like what trainers do you have what kind of bike do you ride you know quality of your clothes that led to a lot of insecurity for me because i didn't have any of those things so it kind of sparked an interest in my teenage years to kind of think about money uh the benefit of that is that i became highly resourceful and and kind of did like five paper rounds and would buy and sell things at um car boot sales but that stayed with me this kind of um belief that money is something that I could kind of get good at making. 
And 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 what I learned throughout my twenties is that I was pretty good at understanding um, how to create wealth. And and when you start making money in your twenties, people ask you naturally, like, where'd you get that from? And 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 in the UK, we have such this income mentality. It's like, what do you do for a job? And I'm like, well, I don't have a job. I have a business. And it's kind of like, you know, but where do you get all this money from? And it's kind of like this idea that it's earned income. And and for me, I knew that earned income was kind of not the best way to, to generate wealth. So it was going through this pathway of having money, but then not spending it. So not buying a nice car, not buying nice clothes, but buying assets. And then ideally assets that appreciate and generate cash flow. And then even then not, you know, being, you know, kind of lavish with the money that you make, but reinvesting the cash flow to buy more assets and it and it kind of snowballs. Um, and I would there was loads of people that were asking me like how I did it. And I would talk about the stock market and I would talk about property and I could see their eyes glow glaze over. And it was only later that it occurred to me that they had beliefs and ideas about the things that I was talking about that meant that knowledge wasn't the answer. And I think a lot of people have this belief system that if you know better, you do better. And I think intuitively, we we kind of know that, you know, if you spend your income on things that are just to kind of show off that that's a very bad strategy to build wealth and we kind of intuitively know that if you build assets or buy assets that go up in value then that's a way to becoming extremely wealthy and, and free in the future but we've got all these kind of fears and we've got all these insecurities and we've got all these doubts and we've got this kind of worry if we're going to look stupid or lose our money and, and all this kind of stuff and it and it dawned on me that you can have the best knowledge in the world but if you don't have the right mindset that links to to money all of that is 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 kind of a waste um so that's why when i became a hypnotherapist i started thinking right how do i take my ability to help change what people believe and my unique experiences of being able to create wealth and fuse them together and that's really where hypnotic wealth came from it's interesting that you bring up that knowledge isn't necessarily the deciding factor like there are money books out there money courses out there there are people talking about investing for the future that sort of thing so i don't think that you're wrong in a sense that knowledge isn't the driving factor but then some people simply don't know something i.e they don't know it they're ignorant to it they've never been taught it in the it, would that not help in a way like if, if someone's a big it, it's a vital ingredient order, like yeah where, 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 where would knowledge come from so that it it flips them into that someone can have the right mindset of maybe investing but saving you know being quite discerning about where they spend their money but they're not having the ability to to make it work for them yeah so the, 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 there's two parts to that one is that knowledge is a crucial ingredient it's just not the most important ingredient and 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 i i really delved into this and i thought what is the most important ingredient. And it isn't how much knowledge you have, it's actually your attitude to risk. So that that's the single most important um, ingredient to, to being wealth. If you're, if you're the smartest man on the planet, but you never take a risk, 
so that you never buy a property or you never buy an investment or you never build a business or like it's almost impossible you could have all the knowledge in the world and nothing happens right the, the second part of the question is how do you get that knowledge and you get different types of knowledge you get um intellectual knowledge which is like facts and information and then you get experiential knowledge which most people call wisdom and they're very very different um so let, let's say for example that you've never played the game monopoly before well you could read the rules of monopoly and you could watch videos of people playing monopoly and then you could get an idea of certain strategies that link to monopoly that it makes sense to have a set it makes sense to kind of better to have hotels on one than kind of like two two houses on many and, and you could get the, the principles of it but where you get your wisdom is actually playing the game now if you've never played monopoly before and i say right i'm going to bet you a grand that i'll beat you at monopoly you've never played it before and i've played monopoly loads it would be crazy for you to take that bet because there are certain things that you only only become obvious from playing the game if that makes sense yeah. And I would say building wealth is loads and loads of different games. So like setting up a small business is a game. There's rules to it and you can play the game well or you can play the game badly. And if you if you play the game really badly, you're going to run out of cash and your business is going to you're going to lose that game. Investing's like a game. Um creating intellectual properties like a game. So in in many ways the ability to become wealthy is getting really good at playing lots of different games and then fusing those games together. And, and you don't have to be great at every single game, but as long as you're good at a few of those games, you can become really, really wealthy. But most people don't even play the games because they're afraid of failing or they're afraid of losing money or they're afraid of the judgment of other people. It really comes down to fear. And, and when you take that fear away, everyone intuitively knows that they could be wealthy. And, and when I do my talks on hypnotic wealth, I use the analogy of uh, a time machine. So what, what's your favorite time machine movie of, of all of them? Mine is probably Doctor Who. Okay, it's very hard to get above Doctor Who in terms of time travel for me. Yeah. And, and the great thing with Doctor Who is that he can go to any any point in time but any location in time whereas if you look at back to the future um the location doesn't change but the time changes you get different kind of variations of the genre but if you remember back to the future too um biff has got a copy of the Al almanac like every single sports result in history and he gives that to a younger version of himself and then biff becomes almost like this donald trump billionaire character because he knows the results Anyone could say that Biff isn't the smartest guy. He's not, um, you know, kind of a shrewd investor. But the reason that Biff becomes a billionaire in Back to the Future 2 is that there's no risk. There's no risk at all. He can bet money and know he's going to get the right result. Now, if you imagine that there's a time machine and with just not with a, all the sporting results in, in history, but just with the knowledge that you have right now, if you went back 10 years not with any additional money, but just with the knowledge that you have right now, you could definitely be a billionaire. And, and here's the thing. If you had the exact knowledge and you know what was going to happen over the next 10 years, you wouldn't be a billionaire by getting a good job. 
you would definitely start acquiring assets. So with your knowledge, you might think, hmm, what companies have done well this last 10 years? You might think of companies like Google and Tesla and Netflix and Facebook, and you might like, you know what, I'm going to buy a bit of shares in Tesla because I think it's going to do what I've just heard something that those companies do well. So you're massively reducing your risk because you know those companies do well. And let's say you accumulate a bit of money and then you're like, well, actually, I'm going to buy property because I know it goes up. You know, and, and so you would start accumulating assets. Maybe you've heard something about Bitcoin and Ethereum and you're like, you know what? I'm going to buy a couple of Bitcoin when it's like $100 each or something like that. Knowing that somewhere in your head, you, you heard it goes up to like $70,000 or something like that. So you've got no risk. Even if you're not an expert on crypto and business and property and shares, just with the knowledge you have right now, go back in time 10 years, you're a billionaire because the profits that you make in one asset, you can then buy other assets and you can kind of accumulate that over time. Nobody goes back 10 years with the knowledge they have at the moment and thinks, I'm going to get a really good job. Why would you do that if, you, if you've got that edge? And 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 so so therefore that's evidence that the key deciding factor isn't all of this amazing knowledge and all of this kind of guaranteed strategies and techniques. It's simply if you have a time machine, you feel much more comfortable taking risks because you've got a feeling of certainty, if that makes sense. And if we look at trends and we say, well, every single time in history over a 10-year period. Um, certain assets increase in value. So property goes up over a 10-year period. Land goes up over a 10-year period. Um, most share prices of established companies, particularly if you're buying like funds rather than individual companies, they go up over a 10-year period. Um, what doesn't go up over a 10-year period is the buying power of cash. Typically, if you had a thousand pounds 10 years ago, 10 years ago, that thousand pound buys you a lot more than a thousand pounds today. So the, the the overall strategy, even if you don't have a time machine, is probably not a good idea to hold on to cash, probably not a good idea to spend all your money, and probably a really good idea to either buy or build assets that have the ability to give you cash flow and appreciate and value. And that's really what the the hypnotic wealth system is about, because people know this kind of stuff. But when you've got something that, okay, yeah, I, I accept that assets go up in value and it could really give me financial freedom, but I've heard that it's risky in the stock market and I've heard that, you know, pension companies sometimes are dodgy and they, they go bust and I've heard there's loads of scams in crypto. What you're talking about is that even though intellectually you know that that, that could give freedom, if there's a belief system that you could lose your money or you could in, encounter stress and anxiety and all those kind of things humans are hardwired not for happiness but for security so all that anxiety that people experience in their life is amplified when you're talking about um the the energy of money so let's say for example that you've got um ten thousand pounds that ten thousand pounds didn't magically come from anywhere you had to turn your skills and your time and your effort into that money. So therefore, if you lose £10,000, you've lost your, your life source, if that makes sense. That's all the energy that you accumulated to, to accumulate that. And therefore, it feels really risky 
particularly if you don't understand some of these assets or or kind of areas. So that's where the knowledge comes in. Like the knowledge is important, but it's not the most important thing. How you deal with fears, um, your belief systems that kind of put you in a resourceful or an unresourceful state, your attitude to risk, all of these things are way more important than the knowledge because genuinely someone like Biff, you know, can become a billionaire if <laughs> if if you know if you know what's going to happen and 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 here's the here's the funny thing everyone knows people less intelligent than them that are wealthier than them just because they were willing to take a few risks and it's kind of like sometimes like in in the game of wealth being too sensible and being never taking any risks trying to be safe and secure is the most risky thing you can do that's the paradox by trying to be by trying to avoid all risk you're setting yourself for a future where you have to work all the way until you die that sounds pretty risky to me i would rather take a few risks knowing that not all of them have to pay off and that gives me a sense of financial freedom if that makes sense yeah it does actually makes me think of like survival mode where the mindset of staying comfortable not taking risks is actually what's keeping you there which is that the mesh of is it a mindset thing or is it a take action thing is it situation that you're in that creates the mindset is it the action that shifts the mindset i.e if you take more risks knowing full well that you're safe enough to take those risks initially you know when you start small and you build up and do all those kinds mm-hmm. of things you take safe risks weird way of putting it but if you do that and then gradually build up as you go you start to build that muscle of i can take a risk and i'm okay i can take a risk and i'm okay and i can take a risk and i'm okay and it just kind of builds and grows to a point where maybe you then start to profit from some of these risks and you build yeah. up that, that that kind of experience with it all so investors have this term called the risk curve um, and, and, and generally the less risky you're willing to be, the lower your returns. Okay. So when some people think about investing, they think about ISAs, the, these kind of like investment things that you don't pay any tax on the, on the profits. Now the least risky, um, ISA to, to actually buy is a cash ISA. So you have a cash ISA and maybe you get like 4% a year or something like that. Um, so you're never going to lose all of your money. But the most that you can get is about 4% or whatever the interest rate is. The, the problem with an ISA is that it's linked to the value of the pound if you've got a cash ISA. Now, the governments, right now, they're not printing money, but this term quantitative uh, easing, every now and then they just print loads more money. What that does is it dilutes the buying power of everyone else's money. So this, in, in theory, the safest thing you can do is have a cash ISA where it guarantees that it becomes less valuable every single year. So again, you get these weird paradoxes and what people consider risky. So my preferred strategy is that I invest in tech companies. Okay. Now the the thing with tech companies is that nobody really knows the future, but if you were to look at what companies have performed best over the last 20 years, you would think of companies like Microsoft and IBM, and you would look at Facebook, and you would look at Tesla, and you'd look at all these companies. They're all technology at their core, like Netflix. Um, so my belief system is that quite often what appears to be the riskiest thing to do is actually less risky, because how likely is it that we don't have a future with more and more technology? 
like that that seems like an odd future that suddenly we think yeah we've got ai but we're not going to use it we we've got faster computers but let's have the slower ones you know that everyone's going to want to have phones that get worse and worse rather than better and better like that seems like a very unlikely future to me because once you get used to the idea that things could be faster cheaper more effective then you always want the better thing if that makes sense so this risk curve the paradox is that sometimes the more risky it appears to be the less risky it is and you get the potential for exponential returns and and if 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 someone's listening and they haven't heard the term exponential returns it's where you get um linear growth is kind of like you get 5% a year and it kind of goes up a little bit and it kind of looks like a quite a, a flat gradient exponential is where it kind of goes straight up and and you can have something um worth you know relatively little that becomes worth really really valuable um so i tend to look for things that have the possibility of exponential returns now the great thing about that is that you don't have to get everything right if you typically have these things with exponential returns um you only have to get a few right and that covers everything that is um you know kind of lost or hasn't made the, the same kind of progress um but but the key thing is to decide where you feel comfortable on the risk curve so th- th- there's a great analogy which helps people mitigate risk in a, in a really kind of safe way and it's the idea of the three buckets i don't know if you've heard of this but there's basically uh-huh, yeah. this idea of you have a bucket for security or a strategy for security so for for me for example i have um certain things that i know that i that when i get to the age of 60 or 65 i could stop working and never have to work again so things like i own my own house for example okay and that that goes up in value and i have a pension that feels pretty secure to me and then i've got this kind of strategy for comfort and my strategy for comfort is things like um you know i've got um some properties buy select properties um about 10 of them and the properties tend to go up in value and it pays the mortgage and it gives me a bit extra so it means that i get to do things in my life which feel comfortable that i don't it's not just surviving but it's actually enjoying a nice life if that makes sense and i know that as i get older these assets are going to go up in value but then i've got a strategy for freedom and and typically you want your strategy for security to be the least risky your strategy for comfort to be medium risk and your strategy for freedom to be the most risky because the worst thing that's going to happen is that you're still secure and you're still comfortable so you've got a strong foundation where people get get it wrong is they try and miss out the strategy for security and comfort and then they're like I'm going to go all in so when you see these youtubers and they say right I sold everything to buy this kind of crypto meme coin you're like you idiot because <laughs> if this goes wrong you don't have a house to live in at this point you know so so you need to have so it's so the risk can increase proportionate to these other things that you have in a row so my my strategy for freedom is that i have a couple of businesses and i have some more speculative tech stocks and i invest in crypto that could be worth a thousand times the amount but it could go to nothing but i'm comfortable with that risk because it's not everything i'm not all in on one thing and and in investing terms that's called diversification so that 
if the property market does well, I do well. If my businesses do well, I do well. If tech stocks do well, I do well. If crypto does well, I do well. But I'm not relying on all of these things to have to go well for me to do okay. Any one of them could go well, and I'm going to be in a good place, if that makes sense. And therefore, yeah. my risk, when I tell people I've got a million pounds worth of debt, they, they, they say, how do you sleep at night? And I'm like, like a baby, because if, if I had a million pounds worth of debt just to kind of like have fast cars and go on holidays, I'd be an idiot. My million pounds worth of debt um, is the mortgages on 10 properties. And I've got way more equity in those properties than my million pounds worth of debt. So therefore, it's kind of like, it sounds like I'm, you know, kind of reckless. I got a million pounds worth of debt. It's kind of like, no, because that debt acquires assets that give me cash flow, give me security, give me appreciation. And, and therefore, I'm using the bank's money to kind of create more wealth for me, if that makes sense. But but if you have a, a belief system, let's say that when you were a kid, you, your parents said, you know, don't get in debt because debt's bad. And you carry that belief. And I had that belief all the way up into my mid-20s, like, don't be indebted to anyone. You know, that was limiting my ability to become wealthy. Once I believed that there is good debt and bad debt, and good debt buys my assets and bad debt buys my liabilities, it's kind of like, oh, okay. I want to get as much cheap money from other people to buy my assets because I control the assets. I control the, I, I get the return on the assets, but as long as I can manage the debt, then I can leverage my ability to um, accelerate my returns. All of these things relate to belief systems and fears and, you know, ignorance in certain cases or knowledge on the other flip side. So that's what hypnotic wealth is all about. It's It's giving people a framework to figure out what what would be a desirable future for them? And and some people think, right, if you're wealthy, you know, I remember having a conversation with my dad and he's like, well, if you're wealthy, if you're rich, and some people use the word rich rather than wealthy, if you're rich, it just means that you have to have a nice car. You've got to join the country club. You've got to put your kids in private school. And it's kind of like, says who? <laughs> who says yeah. that? Mm. You know, the, the, you know, I, my, my, my net worth is in uh, several millions. Um, I don't eat, uh, uh, you know, kind of Michelin star restaurants. I don't feel like I have to go on five star holidays. I like traveling and just going in an Airbnb. You know, I prefer not to fly first class. I like having the the ability to do that if I wanted. But for me, it's not good value for money. I'm going to get to my destination anyway. Do I need to be in a slightly bigger seat and and have this kind of status? No, I want, I want to enjoy the world and, and travel places. So sometimes there's belief systems that more money, more problems, or that if you're rich, people are going to try and take advantage or you're going to lose connection with friends. And all of these things can limit your ability. But for me, wealth is simply um, the option, but not the obligation. You know, you've got so many choices if you've got wealth that you don't have. So as, as we were talking about it before we started, like I was traveling for the last six weeks if you have to work, you know, 50 hour weeks to earn enough money to pay the rent, otherwise you're evicted, you can't just travel for six weeks. You can't do that. But if you've got the wealth to do that, and, and here's the interesting thing, uh, Mike, is that I I returned from that six weeks of travel with a higher net worth than when I left, not because I was working so hard, but just the value of my assets went up over that six week period. Like that's a nice situation to be in if you can, um, you know, enjoy life 
and get richer during the process like that's that's a good situation to be in yeah i, I completely agree with that and i think for some they, they kind of see the ones and zeros in their bank account after they've done their survival thing so let's say they've paid off the mortgage they've got the food on the plate they've got a roof over their head that sort of thing and some people look at what's left and think there's no point in me putting that anywhere because it rolls over into the next month so i think the the paycheck to paycheck mentality is something that some people have to they have to do the best that they can with what they have yeah you talk about people that have a lot different story but people that have little they still need to have skin in the game because as you say it could be exponential it can compound over time big snowball start off small that kind of thing you just never know how big the snowball can be but if you don't kick the stone down the hill you, you just never know you end up staying in the same spot as you were five yeah. ten years ago and, and and that's where the analogy of of playing a game so part of this be risk-free system because it's really taking the risk out of of, of wealth creation that, that that makes people want to play the game is this idea of being experimental so when i started uh you know all those years ago with an ISA, I didn't know about different funds. So I just bought a UK index tracker, but my hundred pounds a month that, that bought me that index tracker meant that I started, you know, when people see like the FTSE 100, the FTSE 250, and it's all this gobbledygook and it's kind of like, oh, what is it? What is that? Yeah. You know, once you, once you start putting something like 50 pounds, hundred pounds a month in, you start noticing, right, it goes up and then it goes down, but why? So when I first started investing in the um, in, in the in the UK funds, um, it was uh, 2003, and this is where we were just about to invade Iraq for the second time, and I could see, um, you know, this, this kind of idea of normally when there's a war, like it has an impact on share prices. We saw it with Ukraine and and that kind of stuff. Um, so I had. I had my my ISA. I, I took it out into a cash fund, and then the FTSE dropped from like around about six thousand, seven thousand um, points to around about three thousand. And then I bought back the same um, funds for half the price. And then within six months of the start of the invasion, it was it was kind of back to its previous level. So I kind of doubled my money in a, in a few things. I got lucky at that point, not really knowing what I was doing. But what I learned is that. By having some skin in the game, as you call it, you you pay attention to these things that are normally kind of in the background. So when you see the news and it's got those little tickers of kind of share prices and stuff, if you don't have any investment in the stock market, it, it's it's background for you. You don't pay attention. If you've got, so I invest in companies like um, Zoom and Tesla and uh, Google and Amazon. Now, when I see the little kind of tickers at the bottom of a, of a screen, or I look at the the the, the charts, I, I pay attention because you've got skin in the game, and and then you learn certain things. Um, whereas if you if you're not even playing the game, you don't. And there's this belief system that okay, well, you know, I don't have thousands and thousands to kind of buy shares or property, so why even bother? And 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 it and it's a misreading of the situation. To use that monopoly analogy, like if you had to bet a thousand pounds every time you played a game of Monopoly, um, then you would you would perceive playing Monopoly to be too risky. 
you'd never want to play it. But if you play Monopoly with no, it's fake money, you're not going to win or lose anything, but you get to learn the game and you get really, really good at playing Monopoly. And then someone says, you know, should we, should we bet a hundred pounds on whoever wins this game? Well, at that point, there's less risk, not because um, you're the, the world's best Monopoly player, but just because you've played it enough times that you feel more competent in yourself, if that makes sense. So w- one of the key things that, you know, I recommend to people is that so much money gets wasted. Like if, if people were to look at the amount of, look at their direct debits and it's kind of like, or you can get these dashboards that connect to your bank account. Like how much do you waste on kind of, you know, beers that you don't really need or takeaway food or your Starbucks and this kind of stuff. If you were to take not all of that, half of that, and then just kind of like every month buy a real basic fund, like, you know, the, the American index track of the S and P 500 or a tech fund where you can get used to having one less coffee every couple of days, or, you know, you only have one takeaway a week instead of two or three, where you take that money and then suddenly you're in, in the market it's got the ability to go up massively compared to if you're going to waste that money anyway. The other strategy is, you know, and and, and I say it's it's very easy to get wealthy. You buy or build assets. Now, the buying bit is fairly straightforward. Like people know that they can buy a house or they can buy shares or they can buy cryptocurrency or they could buy gold. The buying bit is fairly straightforward. But when, when people say, right, you can build assets, they're like, oh, how do you even start with that? So I, I tend to look at um, two key assets that's relatively easy for people to build, particularly at, at this particular um, age that we're we're in. There's there's less barriers to entry than every time before. The first asset that you can build is a business. Okay, so anyone these days can create a business uh, at very low cost. And if you've got a good proposition, then you can start making money uh, from that proposition. If that business gives you cash flow, then it's an asset. And if it becomes big enough as a business, you could sell that business or or whatever, and, and, and you've got an asset. The second is intellectual property. So if, 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 if I said, okay, just build a house, but you're like, yeah, but I need land and I need knowledge and I need cement and bricks and all these kind of things. But if I said, look, what do you what do you know loads about? Uh, and you're like, well, actually, I know about living in the Canary Islands. And you're like, well, there's loads of people out there that don't know about living in the Canary Islands. So if you created a short course where all the mistakes that you made, you can stop other people making, that might be useful for them. Well, suddenly you, you do a few audio files, you create um, a few videos, you've got some kind of platform and then you promote it, you might get, you know, one or two people buying that course, you know, a week. And then suddenly you've created an asset that creates ongoing cash flow. So it does, it's not the case that you have to buy Bitcoin or you have to buy gold or you have to buy Tesla stock or whatever it is. The goal is, in my opinion, or, or the strategy is, I'm I much prefer having businesses than being an employee. Because if you have businesses, you're much more in control of your own destiny. I have two key businesses. I have a PR agency and I have a hypnotherapy uh, business. Now, here's the thing. The money that comes in from those businesses, I don't spend, I invest. 
So I have the 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 income that comes from the businesses, which means it's more tax efficient. And then I buy assets, but I'm also building assets as well. So my asset column is getting bigger and bigger. And then the cash flow that then comes from the assets, I tend to split 50-50. Half of that is on my lifestyle and half of it is buying more assets. So this snowball effect that you talked about of, okay, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, if half of all the money that your assets are making you buys even more assets, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then it means that if half of the cash flow that comes from those assets you spend on your lifestyle, your quality of life grows at the same time that your asset column grows and that your net worth grows. And therefore, you don't fall into the lottery winner trap. Now, the lottery winner trap is you hear stories again and again. People win 10 million on the lottery. Four years later, they've got none left. Like, why does that happen? And it's because there's this belief system. If I have money, I have to spend it. And it's kind of like, I have to get, you know, have to get that Ferrari, have to get that mansion, have to get that. But the problem is, if your asset column dwindles and your lifestyle goes up and you get used to spending all this money because it gives you a dopamine hit every time, well, pretty soon you've run out of money. And then you have to go back. I, the, the, I had an employee once, um, going back a couple of years, he won over 2 million on, I don't know if you've heard of the gambling platform Skybet, um, but he was on there and, and he was on some kind of casino game like that. And, and he, he showed me the screen grab and, and, and you know some of the things. So I knew it was true. He won over 2 million. And he was partying with kind of Premier League football players. He had a chartered jet. He was taking women to Ibiza just for the weekend and all that kind of stuff. 95% of all that money he'd lost within a few years because there was a, a misunderstanding of wealth. Now, if I was in his same situation, if I've got 2 million, I'm going to buy 2 million worth of assets that can appreciate in value and give me a cash flow. And then I'm going to spend half of the cash flow that comes from that. The difference between me and him is that I would have in, in five years time, way more than the 2 million. And I've still got this amazing quality of life. So it's that kind of lottery winner, you know, kind of uh, trap that a lot of people fall into that, okay, if you have money, then you waste it. And this is the problem with people on high incomes. You know, you can have lawyers and dentists and stuff like they're earning hundred grand a year, but if you're spending 110 grand a year, then you're still running paycheck to paycheck, no matter how big your paycheck is. But if you could bring down your costs so that a proportion of your income, you can buy assets, well, that's the gateway to freedom. And then the moment that these assets become valuable enough, then you can choose, hey, I want to retire because you know the cash flow that can generate from those, those assets can more than cover your overheads. Um, and some people call that passive income. So with my 10 properties, uh, you know, at the age of, I think I was around about 37, something like that, but I figured out that I don't have to work another day in my life that I could just have cash flow coming from my properties, pay on my bills, and I could still live. It wouldn't be the quality of life that I wanted, but I could do that. There is a big energy difference when you work because you choose to work than if you have to work. And the amount of people that kind of it gets a fried end, like my fucking job, I hate it. And they just want to have a few beers and they just want to kind of, you know, uh, waste the weekend. And then they go back to the same you know, bullshit job that they hate the very next week. It's like, they're doing that out of obligation. How's that different from slavery? 
and and that's for me what wealth really is it's freedom because you know you know me you, you know you know how hard i work i'm doing it from choice not obligation i choose to have two podcasts have two businesses you know do do the things that i do i don't have to but that means that i feel good about doing those things if someone said right if you don't work you know 12 hours today then you're not going to you're going to be evicted and you're going to do this and it's going to cause problems even if i enjoy the work that could lead to resentment pretty soon because now i don't have any choice in the matter that's a very different energy it is and i've also found that a lot of people will tend to work harder if it's a choice and they'll, they'll typically choose it for something that's important to them or will benefit them and brings them some kind of intrinsic benefit from from doing it whether it's satisfaction achievement happiness just the work that they're doing is it's helpful beneficial they're more likely to work harder for it and i i experience a lot of the the same kind of feelings it makes me think actually of the kind of scenario that a lot of people tend to find themselves in where they want to try to find something with the money that they have left and if people treat this you know be, be a fund as in investing in their future fund if they just change the name of the fund where would you put it so if you're thinking okay someone's in this survival mode they don't have a whole lot left at the end of the month but they they're committed they want to branch out and it's the money that's after everything else so the risk is is minimal they can use it it's similar to playing with house money maybe you've got a guide of like okay at say 100 pounds a month this would be where i'd put it 50 pounds a month this is all i can really do with it where would you so if we started to say like 50 pounds a month and yeah. work your way up logically what would you do where would you put it how would you invest it yeah so uh, again i'm not a financial advisor but but if i was in that situation and i didn't already have let's say properties and businesses and that kind of stuff but i had money left over after an income i would open an isa but i would not go anywhere near a cash isa i just think it's one of the worst things that you can ever do so i would open a stocks and shares isa and then one of the things is that some of these tech companies are quite expensive shares if you want to buy tesla shares it's like you know it's you know, it's not cheap. You know, I think it's about $250 a, a share right now. So what do you buy like one, one share? Um, whereas if you buy a fund, what you're doing is you're investing in multiple companies that reduces your risk. But the reason I would recommend tech companies rather than, uh, let's say, food companies or travel companies and, and other stuff is that where we are in history now, there's never been a 10-year period where technology didn't radically change the 10 years before that so you know think of in the last 10 years what's the biggest success stories companies like netflix and facebook and you know com companies that have completely changed you know how we think about like apple for example completely changed so and the 10 years before that like you know radically different you know if you go back 30 years like Microsoft wasn't even around at that particular point. And now everyone uses Microsoft devices every day. Everyone uses Apple devices every day. So given that we're we, we're going to have more and more impact on technology, my advice would be open up an ISA, set up regular payments from your direct debit. You do this already with like gym membership you may or may not go to and these things that you're subscribing that you're not using. Cancel your direct debits that you're not using anyway. 
and have the direct debits that go into like a tech fund. Uh, the one I use is the uh, Fidelity Global Tech Fund because it's really cheap and it buys me a share of lots of different tech companies. Now, we're we're in, in, in two interesting cycles. AI, we're at the, the beginning of an AI revolution. People don't realize the level of impact that AI is going to have on the world. Now, AI is going to affect your life. It's going to affect my life. But if you're a tech company and then suddenly you can produce 10 times the amount of code with the same number of developers because you've got AI helping you. Well, that's not going to create new products and new applications that are highly profitable. Of course it will. Like These tech companies are, are embracing AI more than anyone else. So it's a very low risk way of buying lots of different tech companies. And you don't need to do any study and, and that kind of stuff. You're just buying into the industry of, of technology. Um, and I've had I've had certain years um, where my tech fund went up fifty percent in a year. Well, if you've got an, a, a cash ISA that can only give you four percent, and then you've got a fund that can go up like twenty five, thirty, forty, fifty percent, um, then you know that that has a high upside, relatively low risk, um, and you, it just happens automatically. There's a great book called The Automatic Millionaire. And, and the overall strategy of the automatic millionaire is live below your means and automatically um, pay down your mortgage and acquire assets like index funds throughout your life. And if you do that, you're a millionaire. Like it's it, it's that it's that straightforward. Now you might hit a millionaire in your 50s or 60s, but you will be a millionaire if you do that kind of strategy. The reason I, I was able to get there quicker is that, again, it's that risk curve. I was happy to take more risk. So the average person, they say, right, whatever your age is, split your age in two. So if someone's 40, they want to put about 20% of their income into buying assets. That's kind of a helpful thing. In my 20s, I was I was living quite frugally. I was putting close to like 70 or 80% of my income into assets. Of course, you're going to get there faster if you're if you're simply buying more assets earlier. So on a, you know, the 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 ISA allowance per year is 20 grand. So every year I have the goal of, I want to get 20 grand worth of money into my ISA every single year. Okay. But if you do that every single year, your ISA is going to become more and more valuable. Um, I've got the goal of, of putting, you know, 40 grand, uh, actually it's now 60 grand a year that you can put into a, a pension. Not everyone's earning like more than 60 grand, but if you can get 10 grand a year into your pension every single year, it's going to get more and more. If you can get to the limit of 60, even better. Um, so it just it, it's being very intentional about buying assets, but don't become too attached to any one asset. I like tech stocks. I like property. I like businesses. I like intellectual property, but I'm not, all my eggs aren't in any one basket, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it's, it's no small thing to actually value this idea of compounding as well. Like 20 grand can become 60 grand quite quickly because it builds on the previous investment or builds on the previous month or year. Yeah. And it, it all just compounds. And I think no matter how little you have at the end of the month or at the end of the day, if you're working day by day, you need to think of what you're doing with it and as you said it's about being intentional and i think so many people are struggling 
financially, especially now with the way the world is through a lot of people, you need to figure out how you can get yourself in a state where you're able to delay gratification just long enough that you start to benefit in the future like you similar to yourself i i think one when i hit 50 i will probably be in a similar situation to you might not need to to work again unless i have to Mm. and i i think that a lot of it in part is because i've got about 20 years left to do it so i think i'll do it in 20 years you may have more or less depending on how how old you are adam and those listening but if you've got long enough you can make it work and I, I think I saw, so I can't remember where I saw it, but a lot of the benefit actually comes from the time in the game. Like massively. I'll, I'll, I'll share an anecdote. Years. I'll share an anecdote with you, which um, inspired me to be an investor in my early 20s. So there, there was an article by the uh, website called The Motley Fool, and it was a personal finance website. And it, and it shared this story that if someone from the age of 20 invests, whatever the amount is, £100, £200 uh, a month, every year and then stops at 30. Because of the law of compounding, someone that starts at 30 would have to put the same amount in for the rest of their life, and they would never catch up with the person that just did it for that first 10 years. That's the power of compounding. So when I I, I was uh, 23 when I saw that article, I'm like, you know, what what 23-year-olds become motivated to have an ISA and a pension. Me, you know, I was kind of like, yeah, I really want to have that. Now you've got things like junior pensions and junior ISAs. So, you know, actually the best time to start, you know, investing is when you're a kid, because then you've got more, more time in the game. I I, I created a hypnosis session um, based on the idea of immortality. So again, this idea of, oh, I can never be rich. If you were immortal, you're guaranteed to be rich. Because you could make loads and loads of mistakes, and you've still got infinite time to make other things. Um, you know, it, it's kind of like you could, you could, you could make the worst investments in the world. But if you stay in the game long enough, that that law of compounding means that you're literally the wealthiest person on the on on the on the planet. So therefore, we're not going to be immortal. But how do you take the same principle of that and condense it into your lifetime? It comes down to buying or building assets? Um, and, and how do you know which are the right assets to buy or build? Well, play the game, but you play the game with small amounts first. So you learn how to play the game. So when the numbers go uh, higher, you're more comfortable. I have a belief system. And that is um, that the journey prepares you for the destination. So there's, there's a reason why people can't invest a million pounds on their very first trade. And that is because they don't know how to handle a million pound trade. Um, but if you if you invest 20 pound and that makes you anxious, then you pay attention to what happens with that 20 pound. But when you learn how to handle 20 pound, you can handle 50 and then 100 and then 1,000 and then 10 grand. And, and sometimes I'll do, you know, 50 grand trades now. And there's not there's no anxiety at all because I feel a sense of, I understand what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. But if I did that on my very first time, I'd be absolutely freaking out because it's kind of like I could be losing everything. So the journey prepares you for the destination. And that's why people get it wrong when they just win the lottery, because they didn't go on the journey. They just jumped to the destination. Of course, they don't know how to handle money. 
because they didn't have to do anything to get it. And and this this is why it can be a curse to be um, you know the the child of someone who is very wealthy because their journey prepared them for their destination. But you you're just magically at this destination of privilege, but you don't know what to fucking do to 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 yeah. appreciate that. And and that's why I'm very grateful that I grew up in a home where you know I didn't have a, you know I remember going to school with like ripped trousers and kind of like unbranded trainers. That you know that that kind of lack prepared me to kind of value money to the extent that you know I don't want to waste it. Why would you waste something? You know, if you can kind of um, have respect for it and appreciate it, and money is just is not good or bad. It's it's simply a reflection of the values of the person that controls it. Um, so so for me, it's kind of like the, these people that chase status by you know spending money. It's kind of like they need to have the kind of the designer clothes to feel worthy. It's kind of like actually that's an echo of insecurity. Um, you know. And 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 when when I was an interesting anecdote, you know, because I I got into kind of personal development in my uh, late teens, early twenties, and for an insecure, anxious teenager, of course you want, you know, the the kind of the sports car, of course you want the mansion, because there's a feeling of oh, I need that to be to be worthy. I I had the goal of having this um, uh, Lamborghini convertible, and at the point where I could afford it. It was just a stupid decision to buy it, and 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 I kind of like and and it was weird because I'd I'd wanted it for so long, and it's kind of like yeah, I could just and and I don't know if you remember the Gallardo, which was the the kind of yeah. the, the one before things like the uh, um, uh, Hurricane, I think it's called now. Um, but it's kind of like I had enough, and and it wasn't brand new, but I could get it secondhand with low mileage, and it's kind of like I could get that that Lamborghini, and it's kind of like okay, but this is going to depreciate kind of like five to 10 grand a year, it's going to cost me, you know, four or five grand in insurance, it's going to do this, I'll probably use it like two or three times a week, you know, someone's going to scratch it or key it or, or something like that, because there's a lot of kind of jealous people out there. And what am I doing it for, to feel worthy to get the respect of strangers? So in the end, I, I evaluated it. And it's kind of like, I like the fact that I could afford it, but then choose not to have it. And in the end, I, I, I use the same money for that Lamborghini to get the deposit of two other properties. And, and my status and, and my feeling of significant comes from the fact that I'm financially stable, that I don't, I don't need to kind of impress people with, uh, you know, clothes aware and that kind of stuff. And you can get, weirdly, you can get significance. Like if you think of people that get the significance from the phone that they have. So, oh, I've got the latest, you know, iPhone, or I've got, you know, I've got these trainers. My significance, when people say, who do I invest in? It's kind of like, I like the fact that I'm a, you know, and I use the phrase rather than investor, I say co-owner, because it's true. Like the share of a company means you're a co-owner of that company. It's like, I'm a co-owner of Google. I'm a co-owner of Tesla. I'm a, I'm a co-owner of um, like, you know, crypto companies. I'm a co-owner of Coinbase. There's a big um, British uh, uh, e-commerce company. I'm a co-owner of that. That makes me feel significant, but I don't need to kind of have flashy things to feel significant. It comes from the fact that I take pride in in being, um, in my opinion, financially savvy and financially free. 
Whereas when I look at people that, you know, they're clearly in debt to afford those things that they're trying to impress strangers, it's kind of like, that doesn't impress me. That makes me that makes me kind of feel anxious for your financial future seeing that because it's kind of like <laughs> you, you're always going to chase that that kind of need for approval from people that, you know, it's kind of like, who are you trying to impress? Yeah, it's definitely a strange situation where a lot of the financial status and situation actually reflects their mental state as opposed to their knowledge information and even ability because if you have the right information and you have the money there's something else that's stopping you whether it's insecurity lack of confidence you're not sure if the money's gonna always be there that sort of thing and I, I think a lot of people need to feel safe enough to invest or put their money to good use rather than just spending it, Adam. So how can people find out about the course? How can people find out about you? Give people the information, the knowledge and the wisdom that they need. Yeah. So um, I have a website, adamcox.co.uk. On there, there is the first two modules of Hypnotic Wealth completely free. Um, And and if you like that, then of course you could could buy the full course, um, but only if you think it's relevant for you. Um, uh, I have a podcast uh, called The Hypnotist. So I've got a thousand uh, hypnosis sessions that people can get completely free just by going on my podcast. Um, and um, yeah, adamcox.co.uk is the is the website. Uh, and there's a, a tab at the, at the top. Uh, so I think it's adamcox.co.uk slash hypnotic wealth is where you would find out about my, my course. Um, check it out. If you feel like it's useful, get it. And if you don't, that's fine as well. Thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Those that are listening, feel free to subscribe, share the show, tell others, and also leave a review wherever you are listening in to your podcasts. Adam, it's been great to chat. I look forward to our next one. And uh, yeah, I look forward to keeping in touch. Thank you. Awesome. Take care.